0: the Alpern, the of Brass. I'm Carson Sestuli. This is Fangraphs Audio. Generally, uh, listener, every Monday, it is the case that for that same Monday episode, our managing editor, the managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron, analyzes all baseball. However, this week, on Monday at least, uh, Dave Cameron was out of town, and so it was the case that Jeff Sullivan, somewhat new contributor to the electronic pages of Fangraphs, Jeff Sullivan, also the proprietor of... Mariner's SB Nation blog, Lookout Landing, Jeff Sullivan, was invited by me to the podcast instead. And instead, listeners, of Analyzing All Baseball, Jeff Sullivan used his time on FanGraphs Audio this week to fight all baseball with his words. Some of you might say, well, what does that mean? What does it mean that Jeff Sullivan fights baseball with his words? Others of you might say, oh, I know precisely what that means. Indeed, this episode of the podcast is for that latter category of listener. And it is with the least amount of ado possible that I now announce the end of this introduction and the beginning of this episode of Fangraphs Audio with Jess Sullivan right now. to be engaged with something, right? And this is why we like other things too. For example, I just read a fantastic novel over the the weekend. And this is uh, not something that generally happens. Uh, I mean, I do read novels sometimes, but rarely do I think they're fantastic. This is a book called How I Became a Famous Novelist by Steve Healy. And I think it's great. And uh, I thought, well, uh, there's a possibility this could be something that I would invoke on the podcast. And I thought, is that is this off topic or or is this on topic? Because um, um, some fan readers, fewer of the podcast listeners, are worried uh, about something that is on topic relative to off topic. This is a major, this is a concern among some people, at least a, a, among yeah. a vocal minority, if nothing else. Um, but right, we watch a game or we think about the game to be engaged. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, and and. At a certain level, you know, we provide constraints in the form of rules for baseball, um, so that you have things happening that there's a certain order to. But this is, this is why you would engage with any other sort of text. Again, like a broad definition of a text, like a book or something. There are certain rules, right? Some of them are more clear. Like, it has to be in the language that you speak. Um, otherwise you don't know what's going on. Um, and like, you know, the text needs to go from left to right, and it needs to be, a, you know, there needs to be a certain number of constraints. Um, it probably helps if it resembles novels that have come before it um, in some way, uh, and because that way you don't have to, like, your mind doesn't have to work about those things, especially if the point of it is to tell a story, etc. Um, but I wonder to what degree, for you, partic- like thinking about or watching baseball is similar to other other things you do in terms of like, the sort of the way you think about it or the enjoyment that you derive from it.
1: Well, it's hard, right? Because I spend the majority of my baseball watching because of my, my blog is the Seattle Mariners and uh I I love to feel engaged when I'm watching the Seattle Mariners, but I so infrequently do because they've they've been so bad for so long that I think that my my primary reason for watching the Mariners for a number of years has been I have to. Mm-hmm. So but then but then I found out a way that I can write about the Mariners without even really watching them much. Of, of, them, and people don't really call me out because nobody's watching the Mariners. So it's, it's actually getting dangerous where I could be the, the world's most or second most prominent Mariners blogger and I'll just stop, stop watching. But, uh, we'll see, we'll see how far that goes. I'm really glad the season's almost over, but I can tell you that on the rare occasions that there have been Mariners games that have been exciting or, or meaningful in any way, then it's, it's been a lot of fun being engaged. Felix Fernandez, only's his perfect game, was, uh, a very powerful, and incredible moment at a very difficult time in my life. So that kind of was a a whole day of of relief and temporary salvation. I can tell you that last year during the playoffs, for example, I had no no dog in the hunt, no horse in the... I had nobody I was rooting for, Cardinals and Rangers, but that was just unbelievable, engaging baseball. I think it's a... I was going somewhere...
0: No, but here's a question. You say you're able to write about them, um, well, you've figured out a way to write about them without watching them all the time. What is that? What yeah, is the strategy? Yeah. It's, a,
1: it's, it's really simple. So you, I mean, I have access to plenty of numbers, and numbers already tell you a lot, and they can they can suggest different things to, to look up. So instead of taking three hours to watch Mariners game, because holy shit, the Mariners take three hours, it takes three hours to play Mariners baseball. You'd think at least it would take <laughs> like two.
0: You think and this for the like, sake of... You
1: know, okay. We know... It, it's like, look, here's six-sitting. It's just like you're happy. That's that's what you need. It's way easier to throw perfect games this way. But <laughs> you, you look at the numbers, and then you can you can go over the highlights because MLB.com will have, for the average baseball game, maybe 10, 12 highlights, or for the average Mariners game, maybe three, four highlights, and then you can just watch those videos, and you can get some idea of how things happened. You can go through the game day and see, oh, here were a bunch of hits, but the pitch locations were fine, and they were on, like, ground balls. So you can just kind of get a sense that uh, after a while, you kind of know how a Mariners game went, even if you didn't watch it, because you have watched so many of them.
0: Yeah. Um, So I'm curious, because you want your writing. So when you're writing something about the Mariners, you don't want it to be – I imagine that there could be a version, like an alternate reality of Lookout Landing, again, which is the – Espionation uh SB Nation site for which you write the Mariners uh, the Mariners version of the Espionation site. Um there could be a version of it where you are just constantly upset, I assume. Um because you've been for you feel like you've been forced to watch three hours of Mariners baseball and you're responding to that daily.
1: Yeah. Uh yeah, no, I am very So uh I think world weary is a good way to describe the feeling a lot of the time. Uh, usually, come the end of April, and I'm kind of thinking, "Okay, I could I could take this season being over." Um, it's all it with takes, the Mariners. Your, it's not all, with, the, it's not, not takes. with the rest of baseball.
0: Oh, yeah,
1: because um, uh, because the Mariners are just kind of kind of dreadful. I don't even know if I'm a Mariners fan anymore, or if I'm just a guy who writes about them a lot. But I know that if they ever were good, I would be a fan. But right now, I, I'm watching because I have to. And following closely because I have to, and and that's not really, it doesn't feel like fandom. I, get, I guess it's different because I get paid for it. Um, yeah, but the idea like is right. In,
0: you have to find ways. I mean, you had, at this point, you have to find techniques, um, and it sounds like that's that's what you're doing, to, to find. I, I mean, beyond you know what what will frequently appear in daily papers, which is you know um, it, it, these have varying various amounts of virtue, but like. Uh, a situation you know where you do like a um like a story a personal a personal interest story on a on one of the players or you know a younger player with some potential or something like that but you need to find techniques where the the quality of the narrative like you're writing about the narrative and the narrative is the thing you get excited about the narrative you're constructing um that's the thing about what you're excited it's not necessarily about the team itself though
1: yeah, no. I mean, I think over time, I haven't done any math on this, but I think my game recaps that I've been writing almost every day have, have become less and less about the actual game action and more and more about whatever the hell narrative I come up with to, to introduce the game. So it's, it usually ends up being I don't know five or six or eight hundred words about some general idea, and then oh by the way, and there was a game and the Mariners lost twelve to three, and here's here's what Blake Beathen did, uh, and here's what John Jayso did. Do you think if you and, wrote and for? There's more baseball.
0: you think if you were tasked with writing about a more successful team, that that would that would be different, or do you, you mean because you would you would be more engaged, I guess, or you'd have you know you'd have more hope about the team's
1: successes or a chance of succeeding? Well, it's, it's hard to say, right? Because I've been I've been writing about the Mariners since November 2003, and since November 2003, the Mariners have not had a single season. When they had a positive run differential. I've never written about a good baseball team. I've written about baseball teams that were like fluking it a little bit. Like the 2007 Mariners won 88 games, missed the playoffs, but they got, they were within a month. Uh, and I remember, that was, that was neat, but the whole time I was like, holy, this isn't for real. Uh, because I was just, the, the burden of knowledge, I guess, is what you could say, that I couldn't just get sucked in because it was like, oh, this team isn't actually good. Like they have Jared Washburn and Miguel Batista and Felix isn't really that good yet, etc. So I I don't know. I can only speculate. I think that writing about a good team would would certainly be a different experience. But on the other hand, what's kind of liberating about the Mariners is that especially come this time of year, well football got started. People care about the Seahawks. If I'm going to skip a Mariners game, it's not a big deal. Uh, I can go out and do something else. <laughs> Uh, and then I like I'll come back and I'll I'll think maybe I should write something for the three people, who would be really interested, and then one of them would be like, "This is too long. I don't want to read it." Okay, well, like that's the format on this website. I don't know what you're complaining about.
0: But so um, one one thing that happens too, right, is that is that apart from the team, is a community can be can be founded, and like if you look around, for example, the different SB Nation blogs, like there's not necessarily a perfect correlation between. The quality of a team or how it's run, and then I guess like the strength of, um, or or how the team plays, actually, you know how well they do, and, and the strength of the community uh, surrounding it, like in the writing community. For example, as you note, the Mariners have really not been that very good uh, over the last nine, ten years, uh, and yet the Lookout landed community is rather strong. Um, whereas, for example, uh, the Diamondbacks, uh, and this is not to 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 pick on any of Diamondback specific blogs, but they don't really have a particularly engaged fan base, I think. And the Diamondbacks have been good sometimes over that uh, that same stretch, uh, but the sort of commitment from uh, from the fans generally and m- maybe the readership specifically of uh, Diamondback specific blogs is not as um, they, they, there's less engagement, I guess. So you also have yeah. like simultaneous to the team, you have like this construction of of the community that is only I don't know you know it it's only partly related to the success of the team.
1: Yeah, uh, there was a time when I was I was almost wholly convinced that there was an inverse relationship between team quality and, and blog internet quality. Where uh, I was talking about this at a Q and A Q&A that Look at Landing uses Mara held in Seattle, and at the time the manners were terrible, and and it was Dave and I up there speaking, and, and we were representing the very vibrant Mariners bloggers there, and of course the Mariners were <laughs> they're still <laughs> they've always been and, and then I was thinking about my other favorite team and there was there was McCovey Chronicles of the Giants with with Brisby, who was just fantastic, and there was Royals Review uh, clearly, but the Royals with Will McDonald, who was fantastic and, and I was just thinking about the sites that I liked and the sites that I didn't like, and like there was Halo's Heaven, which is just a catastrophe it's, it's the Dane Perry's podcasts and blogs
2: and
1: <laughs> it's just uh and it, it's not perfect science but there was a lot of when you have a team that's bad it forces creativity it, it contributes to this angst and it gets you if you're good at it and if you stick with it it gets you to writing thoughtfully and deeply uh, as opposed to when you're writing about a good team it's like holy we won again this guy's a hero and this guy's a hero and everybody's happy well you know what people don't like is when everybody's happy uh, people don't like looking at other happy people. It, it, <laughs> I think fans of other teams like blogs for bad teams when blogs of good teams because blogs of good teams are insufferable because everybody's just all happy-go-lucky. But you get, you get deeper when you write about a bad team. People can relate to that, people can connect with that, and then it, it forces these bonds with people together where it's like, if you are, you're at a bar and you're watching with strangers, you're watching a big game, and you see a guy next to you who's wearing the same jersey that you are, and then that team does some good, and you, you like, drunkenly celebrate and you give them a high-five. Or you're in the stadium, and I don't know how many strangers I've, like, high-fived in stadiums watching games that weren't Mariners games because I've never high-fived at a, at a Mariners game. But... And you you don't remember that. You don't get to know the person that you high-fived or, or hugged or kissed or whatever you did after the, uh, the triumphant moment. But if you if you see something just devastating happen or just it's a dull losing game, you might strike up a conversation and you might just connect with that person over the misery of what you subject yourself to. Um, so so you're suggesting
0: that, that that misery is more likely to bring people together than ecstasy?
1: I think so because I think that the connection that you get with another person Relating to that misery helps to, in part, alleviate the misery because you're at least getting the benefit of a human connection, which is what we're really all out there for. Sports are just a means to that end. I would um, say I
0: would say that's a that's a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely. What do you What do you think yeah. about someone who has no? And I'm and I'm I'm asking this question with some amount of self-interest. Um, but what do you think about someone who has no team allegiance at all?
1: I find those people to be really. Interesting, it seems like most people who are older than me, and I'm still, like, terrifyingly young, um, and a lot of people who write about baseball full-time who are older than me seem to not really have a a devoted fandom to or loyalty to a certain team. Where, uh, you know, take Rob Dyer, for example, was a Royals fan for a long time. He doesn't really... I mean, yeah, I think he still has a soft spot for the Royals, but it's different. It's different than being a real fan of the Royals, if anybody can still be a real fan of the Royals. And I I can't relate to that yet because I still spend so much of my time concentrating on the Mariners, but I do sometimes question whether I am an actual fan of the Mariners. So I could be headed in that direction. I don't know. But I think it would be really interesting to watch baseball with somebody who's, who's just really interested in, in baseball as opposed to a team. For example, you know... A lot more about the New York Mets than I do. The Mets are a near total blind spot for me because I just, I don't know anything. I mean, I know a few things, but I, like, I know the name Lucas Duda and I know that Ari Dickey says Ruckaball, but like, I just don't know much about them. And, and the Mets don't get anything spinning inside of me. And, uh, and you were somebody like you will be more balanced.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, I guess there's, there's, um their benefits and, and uh, disadvantages, because if you're sort of unaffiliated, uh, right, then you can, then you have the advantage of um, picking and choosing, right? I mean, and, and actually it's funny you mentioned the Mets, because uh, despite the fact that they're not particularly successful this year, the Mets, especially over the last uh, couple of months, have rolled out a lot of young pitchers. I mean, besides Dickie, who is fascinating for his own reasons. But they've also rolled out, uh, given uh, Matt Harvey, you know, his Major League debut. Uh, They've brought back um, Henry Mejia or Henri Mejia, I don't know how it's pronounced, who was a top prospect uh, before having Tommy John surgery. And um, I think it was Tommy John. Uh, He was out for a while, and he's back. Uh, They've also – Colin McHugh uh, has had some success. It's been muted recently. And then, actually, I think just today – I think it's today – Yuris uh, Euris uh, Familia is uh, another, he was actually Mark Hill had ranked him third among Mets prospects at the beginning of the season. He has pitched, he's made some relief appearances, but he's actually making his his first major league start today. So
1: you know, you know what, you know what, you know what? What? I'm not I'm not really familiar with them. Can oh. you tell me more. <laughs> uh, it's a joke.
0: It is a joke. Yeah, it happened.
1: That's
0: all the uh, truth. That's I, how it works. Yeah. I, I uh, on that same note, uh, are, I came up
1: are you are you as familiar with him as I am? <laughs>
0: Ouch! Oh, I came <laughs> up with a, a,
1: uh,
0: I did this today. Uh, I said this to my wife today. Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, this is n- not the name of an Edgar Allan Poe story. Uh, the Telltale Fart. That's different. That's <laughs> like he didn't he didn't write something called the Telltale Fart. That's weird, right? Why would he do that? <laughs>
1: Yeah. Anyway. You know, let me before you continue. Let me point out that earlier you were talking about facts that, that don't need to stay in your mind, right? They're like you were talking about the the Saint Basil Cathedral or in Saint Petersburg, and you and that there's really no reason to keep that in your head. But, but realize, after we were talking about that, you just introduced this whole conversation we've been having by talking about an unrelated, debatable novel you just read over the weekend. Yeah. And it was engaging, and it and it got the ball rolling. So see, there's there's value in these things. There's you don't some, want to bill, become, yeah. But you, who only knows baseball? Because it, there's so much more out there. Anything if, if you can relate it to baseball, that's that's wonderful. Because you kind of need to. Baseball is there's a lot of baseball. There's a whole yeah. lot of baseball. Yeah,
0: well, that that and that's the real. That's at least one of the huge draws about the sport is just is how much data it produces. And that's I mean beyond just quantitative data. Like there. Um, For example, there are lots of mustaches, right? Yeah. There are lots of things to gif of humans behaving either extraordinarily, which tends to be the thing to which I'm drawn, or uh, misbehaving in some some way or another, which is the thing to which you're frequently drawn.
1: You know, and not only, so you talk about uh, gifting either, say, a failure or something outstandingly good, but there are, I think, two types of gifs. And this is a very simple concept, really, but you can gif what is extraordinary, which is that which is unordinary, or you can gif what is very ordinary. And I think my favorite gif I made all of last season was Mariners are playing the Royals in Kansas City. This is like the middle of July or August. And it was like Jason is pitching to some whatever. And in between pitches, a bag of trash just very slowly blew through (laughs) the batter's butt, just right across the screen. And there was no pitch throw, no action. It was just this bag of trash as the Mariners played the Royals. But this is the most ordinary thing that is so profound in this moment. If you understand the context in which the GIF was created, because that that GIF captures that whole series, that whole existence of the two teams. I think there is value in JIFing a kickoff throw that is not intended to pick off the batter but where the pitcher steps off and he just lobs it over because he has to throw otherwise it's a box. then I think that's a box. There's, there's value in that because you, you present that and it's just this is what we watch this is so much of what we watch is this nothing the delay these these 10 seconds of us getting closer to depth so that we could watch <laughs> this pitcher not pick off the base runner we are just all wasting our time this is not what's engaging and you have to convince yourself that it is that which sets the foundation of what is engaging and that without those meaningless plays, the right. meaningful plays would have no meaning at all. But, I mean, that's that's not true. That Those fake little nothing pickoffs just to avoid a box, that is a waste of all of our time. That contributes nothing to our existence. That just brings us closer to our depths.
0: Right. That's like today. Um, so sometimes I bring a th- uh, thermos to the cafe like, uh, sometimes I'll just normally get one cup, I'll get a cup of coffee, but sometimes, uh, they won't, do, they won't have any ready made, so I have to order a larger amount. So I bring a thermos that I can pour most of it into so it stays warm. And today, mm-hmm. I walked outside and I was about to cross the street, and I remember, I, 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 I remember, I, had, I had left the thermos at home. I realized. And so I had to walk back and get the thermos. And it's, it was just like the most unceremonious occasion. Because you're like, yeah, like I essentially just have to rewind part of my day right now. I had done it or I had gotten out to the road uh, only to realize that this thing that I needed to do, I hadn't done. So I needed to walk back, grab it, and then it's as if it were, you know, uh, three and a half minutes earlier. But I just have to go through the whole thing again.
1: But at least there, there in that that backtracking, you don't know what could happen to you on the walk back and then the second walk back. That could be you could see something of value. So you could meet somebody that you might not have been able to meet. You could be the mailman or the person who throws the newspapers on your on your porch. And you just you don't know because it is it's rewinding in a way, but it's also a different experience that second walk to retrieve or a thermos. If you have a picture, of a throw a fake pickoff, that's nothing. There's no that's that's nothing. That is the birth of thing that play happening and so I think you, God, especially I because, somewhere I was going with this
0: wait is it because once you step off there's like you are you are required by the rules now to throw over and so it's just something
1: it's mean, just, no, no you're not required because pitchers step off all the time and they just look over and they're like and then they just step back on and then and nothing happens there's no balk. so the actual oh I don't know why they do those little throws it doesn't uh, maybe they're trying to Get the batter to show blunt, but that's dumb. I mean, let the batter get himself. A baseball dumb. Are there people? So much of baseball? Are there
0: people in your life? Uh, maybe not now because um, um, you're you're you live a uh, solitary lifestyle, um, just uh, trapped in your apartment all the time. But when you would see people, like multiple people on a regular basis, like college, maybe I don't know. Uh, Were there ever conversations you would have the entire – like the entirety of which you could have scripted before they started? Like you see someone on the street that you don't – it's like you don't know this person that well, but you also understand that there's some obligation to stop and say hello, and you know the entirety of the arc of your conversation before it begins. But – and yet –
1: Yeah, I mean isn't, isn't that all small talk? is like so the example i used to work at a biotech and i was i worked across the hall and my cubicle was across the hall from the first floor of the kitchen which is where people would go to get their leftovers or to get their coffee and so you go in there and you, you want to get a coffee and then okay well you recognize this person from down the hall and you can either quietly mill around and try to get coffee without like being noticed like i'll just stay here in the corner and maybe he won't see me because he's a t-rex but it doesn't work like that you have to Acknowledge the person and be like, "Oh, hey, are you getting coffee." I and mean, I'm clearly getting coffee. Well, how was your week? I don't give a f- about your weekend, but you never <laughs> actually say I don't give a f- about your weekend because you have to pretend it's this whole f-ing charade where people are dishonest with one another all the time because they have this obligation to communicate. When so, what what is more fun? First of all, it's a lot more fun to meet total strangers, and and then from that they become. Mild acquaintances, and then they're worthless, because nobody likes talking to mild acquaintances. It's just, you want to meet strangers all the time, or, or great friends. Unfortunately, you have to get through the mail, that's the worst part. But, it's good to, uh, to say something different. Just be original, not in like a weird way. You don't want to, like, assault verbally or physically somebody when you first meet them, but, but just, there's, there's somebody that I know, that's Portman, and his whole thing is, uh, is when he meets people, he wants to be remembered. Now his execution of this is is both uh, good and bad because he does get remembered, but he gets remembered unpleasantly because he's kind of a dick. That's the way that he uh, he gets himself remembered. But it's at least a different approach to the polite chit chat that uh, that signifies nothing. So I will never forget Sam. I don't know his last name, but Sam is What's, a great Well, how, how, What does he
0: say? Like, what
1: does he say? Oh, you know, he just pushes buttons on purpose. He can spot buttons. He identifies where he thinks will be buttons. He will make racial remarks that are not intended as a, as meant, but that might offend a more sensitive individual than I. Um, me, whatever. I'm, right. I'm not yeah. a writer. I'm just a blur. Yeah,
0: that seems uh, a little cynical to me, that approach. Like, it, I mean, it seems – Um, I would assume that the thrill of that strategy would wear off after some time because – it, I mean, it, there's a certain amount of calculation about it that seems less interesting. To, you know,
1: uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I think it, it's you don't want to go in with a plan. I don't. I don't think you should go into meeting somebody with some with things that you intend to talk about. But I mean, you can tell when you when you are climbing the arc of general, generic small talk, you're you're aware of it. You know, you realize what you're doing because as soon as you say how was your, you're like oh shit, I'm doing it. So you have to like rewind and. I don't know, see something, see something that's around you and be like, hey, that's weird, or I saw one of those when I was uh, naked in Germany, and they're like, oh, that's uh, let's follow up on that because that's interesting, and then that is you don't, nobody ever remembers small talk it doesn't serve any purpose except to make you mildly more comfortable, which of course it does the actual opposite of that.
0: Yeah, it's, well, it's I, so, I mean so I would, I would argue on behalf of small talk for the ritual quality of it, and like, it's there is one way i mean of course you know it it takes different forms but you know there there is a sort of ritual in which we engage to show that we are well meaning i suppose right and so you engage in that and it's not necessarily it's not challenging and it's not inspiring but i would argue on behalf of of a small talk um to the to the end of it what you are conveying is something like oh you're a person whom i recognize um this is a, something that people do. Like I'm showing – at some level I'm showing goodwill to you. There are statements that are coming of it that are not necessarily, um, I, I think, without value, although I, I'm i perfectly willing to agree with you that the content um, is not always particularly interesting. And you might find people, not necessarily like the Sam you you mentioned, but people who, who also feel like – um, you know, asking about the weather and the weekend—that um, those things are also not particularly exciting—and is maybe ready to uh, to get weird, or not totally, not weird, not goofy weird, not not uh, weird in a, in a way that is um, practiced or calculated, but is ready uh, is ready to respond at the moment, as opposed to um, to sort of. Uh, you know, falling back on on the sort of more accepted rope type of conversation,
1: and that, that would be a friend. The, that would be a friend. Yeah, that would be a friend. That would be a friend. Right. i um, uh, you know, if, if you want, if you see somebody, you bump into somebody and you get a coffee. Instead of saying, "Hey, how about this weather?" You know what you could say is, "You know what, I hate weather," and then they're like, "Whoa, this is that's, a new twist on that's a angry, ordinary though. technique." So this man is really anti-all climate, and that is, like, what do you want, a vacuum? And it's like, no, I don't want a vacuum. I don't want to die. Like, you shouldn't say it like this because it just sounds like a, a, a retarded person. No, this is they're angry, though. But
0: see, the way that um, – another way you could say it, in which I would argue is more positive celebratory, is you say, I love this weather all around me. I love this weather so hard. This weather...
1: This weather gets me hard.
0: No, I'm not going to say uh, that. But you could say this is... This weather, this is beautiful weather. I want to... I want to take... I mean, to steal a line from Tracy Morgan, I apologize, but I want to take this weather uh, behind the bleachers and get it pregnant. Yeah. Like, I've never
1: considered... I've never considered before, but I would sneak up on this weather. Well,
0: man! This this portion of the transmission has been lost.
1: But, <laughs> uh, so see, see, right here, this is this is casual small talk, but yeah. it's about, it's meta small talk about small talk, and this is a lot more interesting and engaging. Granted, it takes up a lot more time. One of the, one of the advantages of small talk is that at any point, you can just discontinue and be like, well, all right, see you next time. Yeah,
2: see and you then next time, yeah. And
1: you're done, you can get back to what you're doing. Yeah. This is a little more, like, I couldn't just hang up on you now and be like, all right, I'll, I'll talk to you another time, because we're in the middle of something now. Yeah. So... No right. Uh, that makes it more difficult. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. So um,
1: I I would argue that the but, oh no hold on I'm interrupting you now because I just remembered something you were I'm sorry but you yeah. were talking about the ritual of of expressing that you you recognize and acknowledge this other person that you that you've seen before yeah with whom you engage in small talk and it does have meaning there but then you could argue conversely that you shouldn't need to. Uh, demonstrate that you are well-meaning. People should assume that you are well-meaning unless you demonstrate that you are not, which I don't think that being silent does. And you could also argue that it is a sign of disrespect to engage somebody that you recognize in something as trivial as generic small talk when you could have something slightly more meaningful that requires maybe a little more engagement of your own, a little more brain activity, a little more thought.
0: Well, it's going to depend on the audience. There are people... It's going to depend on the context, right? There are people... Who want, like I think, uh, for example, my dad, whom I love, I think that when he talks to people, I think that he uh, would prefer the sort of small talk, you know, maybe, oh, like, how's your, how's your family, et cetera, et cetera. And I think he prefers that, and I think that he likes engaging in that ritual. That might be different than the sort that Jeff Sullivan would like to. I mean, there's a question of context, I'd
1: say. I guess. I'd say if you put it yeah, in I don't really of, talk to a whole lot of your dad.
0: you wouldn't find any reason to uh listen i did want to ask you one thing um that seems uh, remarkably trivial at this moment but i was curious about it because i know for a fact uh, and i'll let you divulge as much of it as you want but i think you went to you went to college in connecticut Mm -hmm. that's true yes do you want me to do are you gonna say the name of it or should we just keep it mysterious
1: Oh, I, did, I didn't know where you were going with this. I went to Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut. You
0: went to Trinity College in, in Hartford, Connecticut, which is a good school, and which, as we know, is, uh, is in New England. Um, another thing that's in New England is a lot of Irish people, um, certainly in the Boston area, and a lot of people with the last name Sullivan, um, like you have. Yeah, and the thing that happens to most of these people, or at least many of these people uh, in New England, especially in the Boston area, uh, and I imagine there were a number of people at Trinity from the Boston area. Is that a fact?
1: Yes. It yep. was It was directly in between Red Sox Nation and, and Yankees. Whatever. Na- nation. Nation. Yankees Empire. The yeah, Empire.
0: The Empire, right. Uh, I bet uh, – so a thing that happens in Boston and, the Bo- and surroundings is that people who are named Sullivan are referred to as Sully f- with some frequency. And I was curious, Jeff, if anyone ever referred to you as Sully –
1: A lot of adults have, over time, referred to me as Sully. A lot of teachers or adult authority figures will say Sully. My nickname in high school when I was not in New England was was Soul Man. I don't know why, but I think somebody heard the song soul. Soul Man. Soul Man. Well, so there's, there's a song, right? He's a soul man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that one. Like that. And so somebody heard that, and they're like, yeah, that kind of sounds like part of your name. And then there's like, okay, well, that stuck because we're all stupid. Yeah. And realistically, that's just one person, or maybe two or three people had that nickname for me. But it's the only nickname I had, so I'm going to go with soul man.
0: Oh, you don't and, want that one. You yeah, and... don't want that other one you said.
1: <laughs> no, you don't want... You don't want mm-hmm. really in, in any... You don't want it literally or, or figuratively. Right. Um Oh actually literally college, would be much you know, worse. Most, <laughs> that's much yeah, worse. Uh, yeah. I mean would you would you get used to it? Like do you are you accustomed to your shit with such that like you don't understand what's so repulsive about kissing somebody else because so they're like, Well, that's less and you're like, but it's I mean I'm it's fine. I don't know. That uh I guess
0: I wouldn't want that ever. I think it's designed to be awful so that you stay away from it. I mean, it's designed to, to be, to create not, na- feelings of nausea, etc.
1: Um, how do you, how do you retain the structural integrity of, of lips? I mean, this isn't, in, in, in college, you Now, most people would refer to me as, as jets or, uh, hey, yeah. jets would be a common, uh, beckoning of uh of, of wishing to initiate contracts or just acknowledgement is like, oh hey Jeff, It was yeah. never like, hey Sully, except for like I don't know, occasionally, um
0: like a party, a party maybe.
1: Yeah, uh, usually at a party you can't really, you just kind of have to gesture like it's probably allowed, like yeah look over here you make eye contact and mm-hmm. then that is that's what. In, in a party, everybody has the same name, basically, is what I'm getting at, where it's like, okay, you come over here, you individual Let <laughs> us. Continue to interact elsewhere where we can acknowledge certain names. Or not, depending. Uh, uh,
0: another point I wanted to make, so uh, we've established this, uh, but in, another point I wanted to make, um, architect of St. Basil's or Basil's Cathedral uh, on Red Square in Moscow
1: is... Oh, it's in Moscow.
0: Yeah, it's in Moscow.
1: What
0: happened in St. Petersburg? Oh, absolutely right. Oh my God. Yeah. So this is, but this is what I mean to say. Uh, St. St. Basil's or Basil's Cathedral uh, in Moscow is Poshnik Yakovlev or Yakovlev. That's the guy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, according to legend, Ivan the Terrible blinded him so he could never build anything so beautiful again. However, uh, that's likely a myth. That's likely a myth.
1: I was I was going to say, I think a, maybe a more humanitarian method of preventing him from ever building something so beautiful again would just be to restrict his material to that which is less beautiful.
2: Yeah, uh, right.
1: Presumably he he, was, he received plenty of funding for the construction of the church, and then it's he would be like, well, I'm not going to let you do that again. I'm not going to blind you, though. That would be crude and cruel. I'm just going to be like, hey, less funding. Right. And only one story tall then it's like well now i just have to use these cinders for these buildings that i make i am now right a very unremarkable architect yeah for that's true beyond my control
0: i mean really to to realize uh, your wild streams in architecture um, or your sort of uh creative potential you need uh, you need the, mat- the raw materials with which to work otherwise you can't i mean i guess you could leave behind designs that could or could not be built but um, really, you're bound pretty cons- uh, pretty seriously by funding and in materials and labor.
1: Yeah, and I mean, there's, there's clearly room for creativity where you can turn worse raw materials into more breathtaking raw materials via some sort of processing or, or shaping. But I mean, you are still limited. Not no matter what your parents once told you, everything is not possible. Plenty of things, uncountable things. Are not possible, right? Um, including, but not limited to, turning these cinders into a beautiful building on par with Saint Basil's Cathedral.
0: So how about that, Mike Napoli, huh?
1: Yeah, no, he was pretty good against one team.
0: I mean, really good against that one team, though.
1: And also, he was <laughs> he was he was better against the Red Sox this year. There was nobody they kind of ruined the narrative, right? To be like, oh, yeah, Napoli was awesome against the Angels and more awesome against the Red Sox, <laughs> for whom he should have no particular uh, animosity. And over his career, it's, it's interesting. I was looking at this. He's been he's the best of all teams like against whom he's ranked up a decent sample size. He's been the best against the Angels, the Red Sox, and the Yankees, which is like one hell of a trifecta of teams to dominate, and he's been just terrible against the White Sox. Which, when you get into the deep enough, you're like, oh, that's because this is meaningless, this is noise. (laughs) I am looking for nothing at all, which, as I was writing that article, the whole time I was thinking, this is nothing, this is nothing, I have no idea what to write about. So I just had to (laughs) kind of get through it, because so much of what we talk about ends up being nothing, and we're like, maybe this will be something, but then it's nothing, and it's just something at a time. Uh Like, I don't know if Cameron Maven is suddenly good because he changed his little leg lifts, but it's like, well, I mean, it's a possibility, so let's entertain this possibility until by the time it's demonstrably untrue, we can move on to the next possibility of like, oh, Christian Orpia might be more worth 1.5 wins instead of 0.5. Oh, wow, that's really sort of interesting. And then it's like you go at that and tell it's like, well, Cameron Maven is using a lighter bat. And then it's just this whole, like, game of really uninteresting pong I guess, between ideas. But so much of what we, myself included, write about is the possibility of something being real. And almost always it is either not real or it is less significant than it appeared at the time because, of course, at the time that you write about something, you are selectively interpreting recent data such that if somebody makes a change... And then he noticed that he's been really good for three games and to make a change. You'll write about it then. But of course, just the fact that he's been really good for those three games suggests that he will become less exceptional with his performance going forward and then it all et cetera. This is this is depressing because I told me you're writing up this thing today.
0: The uh yeah, that's true. But you could also write about well, let's see. I had an idea that almost made sense. You um you're writing about things that may or may not be true, but oh, but it's definitely the case, right? That Mike Napoli did play very well against the Angels. This is indisputable.
1: Right. It is it is indisputable, inarguable that Mike Napoli was just fantastic against the Angels. What, uh, what? I mean, he hit like 442. His batting average on balls in play was 500, but of course he also didn't hit many balls in play because he was just hitting dingers all the whole time. And it's like, okay, this is something that happened. Now, I know that a uh, Matthew Cruz, my co-writer on Look at Line struggles with this. Where he will find data and he will like create a graph or table, and then he's like, "I wish there was somebody else who could now turn this into a post." Um, because it's one thing to find something interesting or quirky, and it's quite another to actually build a post worth reading around it. I struggled with that with with Napoli for a variety of reasons. And, uh, I don't know if that post was worth reading, but at least it's I don't know, it's out there and you can't be, can't hold everything to a super high standard.
0: No, I mean, if you're uh, producing, if you're producing as much content as you do, Sullivan, it's, uh, are not all going to be winners. Yeah. No, I mean, no, I, but there's, there's, know there's, there's value, there's value in just, in just doing it.
1: You did it. And in fact, if you, if you are consistently fantastic, just consistently, fantastic, such that everything, yeah. obviously in, in any pool of anything, there will be a best and a worst. But if you're just awesome all the time, and then you have the one thing that's like good, people will think it sucks. They'll be like, why isn't this so awesome? And it's like, well, damn it. Why did I set your standards? So- I say uh, it's important to throw in the kid and no a stinker. Uh, and so just to keep people like, oh, wow, your usual stuff is fantastic. This really sucks. But yeah. I appreciate you more now.
0: You really does. So, uh, do Do you think, uh, for example, I don't know actually what it's like, but I do know that... Um, um, uh, who's this guy who wrote uh, Sports Night, and he also did uh, West Wing. Um, yeah, it's designed by Aaron Sorkin. So Aaron Sorkin did uh, has done a number of great shows um, and then also directed, um, like, for example, uh, Moneyball and The Social Network, which are generally considered to be pretty successful. Uh, he's done a number of TV shows as well. He's recently done a show called Network, if I if I don't know what to say, um, newsroom, right? newsroom, in de- exact right, yeah, New, uh, network was a movie from the eighties. Uh, he he's done newsroom, which has uh, generally not been particularly well received, but uh, but, but maybe he's doing it uh, for the, so that we realize the quality of the rest of his work.
1: Yeah, I uh, I I think that is a possibility. We can only speculate. I think that, yeah, also because because he's been so good, in the past, it might. Uh, skew people's perspectives on the show that they might not like otherwise. But then they try to find a reason to like it, perhaps because it is Aaron Sorkin. Then they'll give it more depth to that, or they'll they'll maybe think about it on a deeper level than they would otherwise. So I don't know. But there's a, there's a big difference between
0: well, I think there's you know, actually I would say I say there's some validity to that. Um, I think that if I mean I know that um, artists or writers, et cetera, that I like, uh, I'm more willing to give uh, any any individual um, work of theirs a, a little bit more attention like solely based on uh, the fact that they're the ones producing it uh, because yeah. you think, well, if this is something that he needed to do or she needed to do to keep going. That's fine. I can live with it. You know, you don't yeah. have to love it.
1: I mean, in in, in our position of, of writing about baseball every day
0: yeah.
1: or producing baseball content or whatever this is mm-hmm. every day, then, you know, not every day will there be the inspiration, the necessary degree of creativity to make something really, really great, but you just have to keep going. You can't just turn off. If you turned off every... I mean, sometimes if you have a day where you feel like, you don't think you're going to produce anything... Well, maybe you will produce, shit or maybe so you'll actually get an hour of inspiration, and then you'll get something good out of it. You can't just shut down on those, those negative days, because there's value in working through them, but a lot of those days turn out, shit. and uh, hopefully people recognize that it, uh, it happens to everybody.
0: That'd be ideal. That'd be ideal.
1: You're telling right there, you're telling right there, you're about to say, this podcast is over. Yeah. Not in those words, but in similar words. Yeah, you can That is a very conclusive tone. Well, I don't even know you as a person, but I can read your manners and the way that you, you talk. It. Yeah, I, I nailed it. But now what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna keep talking so you can't actually end the podcast because as we talked about before, we're now engaged in a conversation such that you can't just walk away. Yeah. Like you could in a talk. You can't just say, Okay, next time
0: Well so, what I was uh, doing,
1: I really this this weather this weather is just so beautiful.
0: Well and, what uh, I was doing if I could
1: tell you I, uh, <laughs>
0: I was forced to summarize the fact that so my wife said maybe we're gonna go to the gym at four fifteen Central time. It's about three pm now Central time. I thought, God, I'm gonna have to I gotta edit Mike Newman's piece on first basement because you know Dave Cameron's not around today. I gotta do Newman. I gotta maybe do a knockographs post before I get out of here and I gotta edit this post on which Sullivan has been cursing. Not like not like a sailor, but like a sailor who's recently been fired for how much he's been cursing. <laughs> and I gotta edit out, I gotta add out all those curse words, because this is a family program, not like not a great family, you know, not not a family that's working really well, a family that has its problems, maybe a family of New Yorkers or or people from northern New Jersey who are stuck in traffic, you
1: know. Or it's a a family with with two kids and a husband and a wife, but the husband and wife are just so wrapped up in their own work that they have so little to give when they're home that it's not not a family that is intentionally unloving. It's just a family that is exhausted from all of the caring that it has to do all of the other time, and they just have lost sight of their priorities. Right. Well, maybe, you know, it's it's it's
0: hard. Do I even need to remind you about this difficult economy, Sullivan? We... Uh, you know, Dude,
1: I am just, I am flying on Fangrass money right now. So you're like, difficult economy, and I'm like, look at all the windows in my brand new apartment. You have a lot of windows? I, thought, I have like so many windows. What part of town I do you live in now? The, uh, the, the Northwest.
0: Oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah. Very, very mature of you.
1: It is it is effing bomb. Like how over like here. how northwest of the, there? Right? And the big end dub Are we talking about
0: Are we talking about like near what is it like? Is it 21st and 23rd or 23rd and 25th? What are the big streets there? Yeah, 21st. so,
1: so it's 20th, 21st and 23rd are the, the big streets, and I am just up on 25th, hmm. so I'm like right in the cultural hub of like you are. young adult Portland.
0: You can get over there. You well, there is a there's actually a Red Sox bar over there. Uh it's on maybe twenty third and uh I don't know which which crossroad. Yeah. One of the uh, there's a there's a it's a it's a place that has that has its own uh, brewery. Like they they brew their own beer.
1: Um Is it Kells? Is it Kells brew Pub? No. Does that sounds Irish and red red boxy? The
0: new old Lompoc. Is that still there?
1: Oh, no, it's actually it seems to be gone. What? Replaced by a McMinnon. No, I really. I I think I am not certain, but uh, yes, no. The it, internet yes, there says there were a Red Sox
0: bar. The internet says is it still there? Uh, no, the internet says it's closed and gone. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. So
1: what happened? Yeah, well, you know what? The Red Sox have been terrible, so they're like, nope, no more. Yeah, we're just gonna we can't deal with the Bobby Valentine era. We're just gonna not be a business anymore. Yeah. Which is too bad, because I wanted to go over there and be like, hey, what do you think about Zach Stewart? And then they would have been like, f*** you. And then I'm like, huh, by <laughs> saying that, I just made Carson do another edit. That's yeah, funny. you did. Oh. Uh,
0: yeah, it looks like maybe, um, I don't know, another space they're going to open somewhere, but that one's done.
1: Yeah. yeah, no, there's a there's a few of them, I think, around the city. There's one in my old neighborhood. But now, now, it, now it's Carson and I talking about Portland, and people are like, I can't yeah. believe I've dedicated an hour to
0: this. Do you know what I've actually just decided since uh, since we've even extended this conversation a little bit more? I just decided, you know what? Maybe this is one of those that I that I edit after I go to the gym. That's what happens. Yeah, I say I listen to the entire thing after the gym uh, and edit it then, and it's I put it up at night. Because this, this is clearly – this is evening programming as what we've produced, yeah. but it, and it's largely you. And work. this is
1: this – is- this is bourbon listening, is what this is. You, you listen to this and you're like, this is good bourbon.
2: Right, I don't yeah. drink
1: bourbon. I hardly drink much. Is that true? I hardly drink much. Really? I, am, I don't like to drink when I still have running to do or no. when I am actively running.
0: Do you get, do you get and tired I am very or do I just lose focus? Or?
1: Well, so if, I'm, if I wake up and then I get going of the day, it's like, all right, I got writing to do. And then as soon as my my head tastes alcohol it's like done oh, okay. time to not think right anymore not in like a weird way just like well it works over kind yeah. of the way so if i have like a beer at lunch and kind it's of like well that was a short work day <laughs> i don't
0: know what yeah. now yeah no i have uh that's very much the case with my wife she can't she can't drink until she's mostly done with her work um mm-hmm. but yes i understand precisely what you mean um
1: I don't. have editing podcast, one could do.
0: Not I'm for integrated. me. I mean, I've actually already started drinking today. Uh, in the sense oh. that I, I always have a beer with lunch. I Consider
1: it a. It's, it's good that you're going to the gym in An hour.
0: Yeah, I do that too. I, I don't mind doing that. Going to the gym after a beer or two. That's fine. Yeah, it just happens. Sorry, dude.
1: I You don't have to apologize to me. You just have to apologize to yourself.
0: I don't mind it. I guess no one needs well, apology
1: it's then. Accomplished.
0: Yeah, there it is. Huh. Uh there hey is. listen, let's say goodbye. We'll it
1: talk we'll, time.
0: We'll, we'll talk briefly and then uh, we'll have some adult conversation and then and then we'll we'll go our separate ways. But uh thanks for joining us on this far far reaching episode of Fangraph's audio, <laughs> Jeff Sullivan. Occasionally You are welcome. Occasionally so frantic, occasionally frenzied episode of Fangraph's audio. Did it really get present? Yeah, I think it did. Occasionally. Occasionally.
1: Yeah.
0: That's Jeff Sullivan. I'm Carson Stooley. This has been FanGraphs Audio.